at the five o'clock, I didn't know they had done that. And so like the thing froze up and I'm like, oh, crud. And, uh, and then the other thing at the five o'clock, I was over praying on this side. You know, I was, I was on my knees and I was, I was praying and uh, someone came by and laid a hand on my back and I was like, oh, it's really cool. You know, and then they left me something and this is what they left me. And I don't know who did it. Um, this is wash away your sins hand soap. It says it kills sins on contact, reduces guilt by 98.9%. It has instructions on the back. It says press pump, anoint palms, rub hands together piously, rinse and repent. So if anyone, if anyone needs that, it's, it's, here it is. So there you go. That's a lot of fun. All right. Okay, so we've been in the book of James for a while. If you've never been to the church, uh, we've been working through this book of the Bible. This is our fifth week of it. And uh, if you have a Bible in front of you, book of James is after the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. You should have got a notes handout, which has pretty much everything I'm going to say in it. And if you have a smartphone, the YouVersion app, the Bible app, if you click on the bottom right button, I think it's more, and then click on events. And our church will pop up and you click on that and it's got all the notes, it's got all the scripture, very, very handy. You can even leave prayer requests and all that fun stuff on there. So very, very handy. Okay, so if you haven't been with us, real quick recap of where we've kind of been, and it's kind of, it's fascinating how God works where we're going to end today, okay? Very pertinent to where we're kind of at as a nation right now, as a culture right now, and and watch how relevant the Bible is here in a minute. So, okay, so chapter one, we talked about where our identity is, and if our identity is in Jesus, we're to live a certain way. And the book of James is a great book of the Bible to kind of show us It's one of many books of the Bible, but it's a great book of the Bible to show us how to live as Christians, okay? Chapter two, we talked about that faith without works is dead. What that means is that if we have genuine faith, you will be able to see our faith and how we live, how we talk to people, how we interact with God, how we interact with believers and non-believers. It should be very practical, right? Faith without works is dead. Chapter three, We prayed for God to control our tongue. None of us have said any swear words since chapter three. None of us have lied or said anything mean to each other. It's been wonderful, right? It's right up here, guys, if you need it. It's, um, so, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) So we prayed for God to control our tongue, and we prayed for God to give us wisdom. Last week, we got, got a little, maybe a little controversial, talked about some different theological things that some people were kind of trained to believe, but we talked about to know what is right and to not do what is right is a sin, that it's wrong, okay? That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to talk about this, and again, how this falls uh, kind of through all the, the, the events that are taking place in our country, where James lands, it's just fascinating. We're going to talk about this, though. We are to live for Christ so we can effectively touch the world around us. We must be filled up with the Holy Spirit of God, right? We must be as close to Jesus as possible, so we can go out and love people the way that Jesus Christ wants us to love people, right? Even the worst of people, we'll talk about that later, that we are to love them and treat them with respect and dignity the way Jesus would want us to do that, okay? So I'm going to pray. We'll dive into chapter 5. We'll get through it, you know, relatively quick. Uh, It's all pretty simple, straightforward stuff. It's not always easy to do, but it's pretty simple, straightforward stuff. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm extremely glad that you're here. I hope you feel comfortable. I hope that something today is said that that just kind of piques your interest a little bit and that you want to come back. And if you're in here and you're a believer, I hope that we just sharpen each other today and that the Word sharpens us. All right? So let's pray. We'll get into chapter 5. I think you're going to dig it, and um, we'll see what happens. All right? Lord Jesus, God, we love you. 
God, I just pray that you keep your hand on us today, God. Lord, I pray that you open up our eyes and our ears. Lord, help us, God, to absorb your word and understand and follow your word to the best of our abilities. Father, we pray, Lord, that if there's any non-believers in here, that they feel welcomed and that they feel at home and that they feel comfortable around us, God, and that they'll come back. And Lord Jesus, we pray for all the churches in our community and the great nonprofits in our community, that you bless them and that your kingdom is advanced through them. Father, uh, we want to pray for our nation. We want to pray for our government. We want to pray for our local government. We want to pray for our police officers and our sheriff's department and our firefighters. And we just want to pray, God, that you bring healing to our country and healing to our nation and our culture, God. And uh, we pray, Lord, because you told us we would be a part of it, God, that you use us to be the salt and the light in the world around us, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. Speak to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in chapter five. I'm going to read a little bit. James is going to get a little sassy. And, uh, and we'll just start off there. Here we go. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Told you, that's pretty sassy. You stored up treasures in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the land, and you have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered, and the righteous man, he does not resist you. So what is James talking about? He's obviously pretty fired up, right? What James is talking about is he is talking about wealthy landowners that have used their power, their affluence, and their influence to oppress the poor. Now, he is talking about non-believers. If they were believers, they wouldn't act like this, right? True believers. So he's talking about non-believers who would intentionally make the lives of Christians miserable. Now, we have to get this straight. Having money is not evil. Having success is not evil. Having education is not evil. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home, nice cars, nice possessions. None of that is wrong. But if we use those things simply for selfish ambition and we oppress others to obtain those things, that is wrong. But all of us in this room, because all of us have been blessed more than we deserve, right? All of us in this room need to be careful that we don't use our resources solely for selfish ambition and for ourselves. We all need to be cognizant of this, okay? So James wants the oppressed people and the oppressors of these people to know that one day God is coming back and he's going to judge and he's going to punish those who have inflicted pain on the less fortunate unless those oppressors repent. So James reminds us, all of us, that our fancy clothes will be moth-eaten, our gold will corrode, and that this corrosion, this degradation of our material possessions is symbolic of what's happening to our soul if we are materialistic. If we're just into things that we can touch and feel and taste with our hands, right, and with our, with our mouths, if we're only into those things, those things will go away, and so will our eternal soul if we're not careful, right? It'll go someplace we don't want it to go. And so James is kind of talking like an Old Testament prophet. He's talking about this day of judgment like it's a fact, because it is a fact. 
And James says that your life will be a witness against you. And if it's not a good witness, that your flesh is going to be eaten like fire, that it's going to be consumed. What is James referring to? It doesn't take a genius to see. He's referring to hell. He's referring to a life that is separated or an eternity that is separated from God, okay? So he's talking some pretty big talk. And he says the big problem or kind of the starting point of this problem is that people have stored up their treasures on their last days. Now, this can refer to the literal last days of these greedy landowners, right? They're getting old in age, and instead of being benevolent with what they have and helping other people that need it, they're still just hoarding all of their possessions, right? Hoarding what's theirs. Or this could be reference to the last day when Jesus parts the eastern sky and comes back for all of his followers, right? So it could refer to either one. Now, here's the other thing, guys. There is nothing wrong with a savings account. There's nothing wrong with a college fund for your kids or a Roth IRA or a 401. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. And I would even argue that the Bible tells us to prepare, right? To be good stewards, to count the cost. I would argue that point. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But we have to know, again, that the resources that God has given us should benefit other people as well. And if we're not careful, we can be so busy obtaining things for ourselves and our future that we have not adequately prepared for our eternity. That we're so busy acquiring things for us now that we're not thinking about our eternity. So let's get back to us. Whether you're in this room and God has blessed you with millions that you should give to buy this building, He's blessed you with millions, <laughs> or He has blessed you with minimum wage, <laughs> regardless of what He's blessed you with, all of us in this room are to use the resources that God has given us for the greater good of humanity. Christianity's generosity and Christianity's unselfishness, this is so important, should provide a visible solution for hunger, for health needs, for clothing, for community service projects, and of course, for the spreading of the gospel. I'm just going to be blunt. Christianity should step up to the plate financially and address some of these needs. We shouldn't be waiting on other people to do it. We shouldn't be waiting on governments to do it. If we see that people are hungry, if we see that people are in need, if we see that there is a lack of something in our community, the church should step up and help to the best of its abilities. That's what the church should do. So we are also called to be ethical in our workplace. Verses four through six talks about the treatment of employees by employers. And in James' time, I wish it worked like this now, but in James' time, at the end of every day, you got paid for that day. It was actually a law. Moses wrote this law a long time before James, but every day someone would work and they would receive a day's wage. In James' time, what was happening, though, is these wealthy, crooked landowners would have someone work their land and they'd say, oh, I don't have it today, I'll pay you tomorrow. Then the person would come back and work in and it's like, oh, I'll give it to you next week. And they would withhold their money. And what that would do is it would enslave and it would entrap people. And they would have to keep coming back and working because they couldn't go without the money that they've already earned. And if the poor tried to take these rich, uh, wealthy landowners to court, just like today, what would happen? That the, the, the wealthy people would hire better representation or they would pay off the judge. And so justice was not served. These people who had worked for their day's wage were getting ripped off and there's really nothing they could do about it. So James addresses this and addresses it pretty seriously. He says the cries of the oppressed people have reached God. God has heard their complaints and the greedy and unethical people have fattened their hearts by living luxuriously off the backs of other people. And when this happens, God does not 
go unnoticed. It does not go unnoticed by God's eyes. So the Bible talks about how you and I are to treat subordinates. That doesn't mean that people are worth less than us, but if you're a manager, if you're a boss, even if you're a parent, the Bible talks about how we're to treat our children. How we treat people that we have authority under is very important. And so oppression on any level, oppression on any level does not escape God's eyes. Let me tell you something. Right now, a lot of us say, well, there's all this injustice and it doesn't get taken care of. Let me tell you this, and you can take this to the bank. One day, God will make sure every injustice will go punished. One day, God will make sure that every wrong will be made right. He is a fair, righteous judge. And even if we don't see it in this lifetime, there will come a time where every oppressive person will have to answer for what they've done. God will make sure of it. We can rest assured of that, and we should find comfort in that. Okay, so this may be the most important slide that we talk about today, right? And here's what it says. In verse 6, James says that when these people were oppressed, that they did not resist. That doesn't mean that they didn't speak up. It didn't mean that they didn't try to right the wrong. What it means is this. It means that the Christian does not respond to injustices with violence or unethical behavior. Just because a corporation has been unethical doesn't mean we go burn it down. Just because someone is a racist idiot doesn't mean we throw a Molotov cocktail in the middle of their crowd, right? That's not how the Christian responds. If you want a very good modern day example of that, and we talk about him all the time because he was a wonderful man, was Martin Luther King Jr., who God had given a vision of, to this man to peacefully bring up these injustices. What happened to him? They killed him, right? And we shouldn't even be shocked by that. He was a man who stood up and said, this is the way that it should be. This is the way God intended it to be. And he gave his life for that cause. And now, just several decades later, right, we have completely lost this vision that God has given that pastor, Martin Luther King Jr. And now what we do is exactly what the Bible tells us not to do. And we start to respond with evil with evil. And that is not the way God wants it to be. We are to stand up to injustice. We are to recognize and identify evil, but we are to respond to it the way Jesus Christ wants us to. We're not to respond to hatred with hatred. We will never win people to a loving religion by hatred. We will never pull people into a loving God by using methods of hate and retaliation. And that's the road that we've seemed to take. Okay, next part. Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You must also be patient. Listen to this. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You've heard of Job's endurance, and you've seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is compassionate, and He's merciful. Now, above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Your yes must be yes, and your no must be no, so that you will not fall under judgment. What James is asking us to do here is he's asking us to, to grow up. 
And I don't mean that derogatory, but we're to mature, we're to get more educated, we're to get closer to God, we're to live better, right? We're to endure. And through these hard times of life, James says that we need to be patient and we need to have an attitude of long suffering. That means we have to take it sometimes. We have to have an attitude of where we take suffering, that we endure suffering for a while. We're also called to endure without complaining. We're to endure without giving up and we're to endure without retaliation. That's what he's called us to do. How in the heck can we pull this off? Well, it's quite simple. Not easy to do, but simple in its nature. The first thing is we have to pray. We've got to pray. More and more as it gets closer and closer to Jesus coming back, we're gonna see evil in ways that we never thought were possible. So we have to pray. We have to ask God to help us. We have to depend on him. We also need to read the word of God. If we're just being honest, you ever been in that place in your walk with God when you can't pray because you're angry or you're confused or times are tough and you just can't even formulate prayers? I've been there. And in those times, I've taken my Bible and I just read out loud and I read the promises of God and I read victory stories in the Bible from Isaiah and from different parts of the Old Testament when they were battling against evil forces and they would win. And I would read these things and it would encourage me. We also need to know, not just prayer in the word, we need to know that Jesus Christ is coming back. And instead of taking matters into our own hands, we can trust that God is gonna come back and administer justice and deliver his people from evil. Now, since we know Jesus is coming back, does that mean we just completely disengage with the world, right? Put our headphones in and listen to third day and eat Chick-fil-A sandwiches, all three meals. That's, that's not, we don't have to do that. Nothing wrong with either one of those things, right? They're both great things. Well, Chick-fil-A's good, but anyways, they're both good things. Sorry, right? But we're not to disengage from the world. In fact, I would tell you that we're not to isolate, we're to insulate. We insulate ourselves with the Holy Spirit so we can go engage the world, to love the world, to pray for the people in the world, to serve the people in the world around us. That's how we're to respond. James says we're to be like the hardworking farmer. Like a person who, who cultivates the ground, plants the seed, does whatever they have to do, but they have to depend on the rain. We do the same thing. We plant the seed of love in people's lives. We plant the seed of the gospel in people's lives. We cultivate conversations. We meet with people. We love people. We serve people. We engage. But we have to depend on the Holy Spirit to rain on them and change their heart. Here's the thing, though. If we're constantly complaining if we're constantly complaining about our circumstances and our situations and about each other, we're never gonna be what God wants us to be. We're never gonna be the kind of leaders and servants and Christians that God has called us to be if we're constantly talking about how bad it is. This is something I struggle with, something I need to work on. And so James says we have to change because the judge is waiting at the door. And it seems like Jesus' return is you know, really, really far away. I love what Kyle said though, every time we sing that song, we're a little bit closer, right? And we can rest assured at this, that when Jesus does come back, he's gonna know every thought, every action, he's gonna know every corner of our heart. And so we tend to be like these misbehaving students, right? Whose teacher is, is, is rapidly coming back to the classroom. And we know that she's coming back, right? We know that we're gonna get in trouble if we're not in our desks and doing what we need to be doing, but yet we still misbehave. And so James says, the judge is at the door, right? We better start to square up and do what's right. So here's the thing, guys. Jesus' return is going to happen. 
When? We don't know. Jesus says no one knows, right? But whether it's when he, again, parts the eastern sky and comes back for us, or it's our imminent death, we need to ask ourselves this question today. Are we ready right this second to be held accountable for our lives? Are we ready right this minute to be held accountable for our words and our deeds and our thoughts and our actions and what we've done with the time and the resources that God has given us? That's a big question. And here's the other thing. I love this. James says, man, if you ever think life just really sucks, remember Job. <laughs> if, you've, <laughs> if you've ever read the book of Job, that's a pretty grueling book to get through. You get like eight chapters into this and you're just like, Job. You know what I mean? Like, it's a hard book of the Bible to read because that dude went through everything, man. And so if we ever think life is bad, you can go back and read the book of Job and you're like, man, things are not as bad as I thought they were. Things are actually pretty good. And the whole point, though, of the book of Job is it shows us what the trials of Job produced in Job. That by the end of the book of Job, when Job prayed, it was deep and it was passionate and his repentance was deep and it was passionate. So what we see is this, is that the trials and the tribulations of life are a mechanism that God uses to develop us into something better. It develops, into, it develops our character. It develops our relationship and our dependency on him. And so back to the beginning of James, we should be happy that we get to go through these things, right? So he finishes off this part with this. James says we're not to make empty promises. And this is not about using GD, right? Though that's bad too. You shouldn't do that. This is not what this scripture is talking about. It's not using the Lord's name in vain like that. This is when you say to people, I swear to God I'm going to do it, right? Or I swear on my children's head or I swear on my mother's grave that I'm going to do these things. James says don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, not only do you, should you not do that, in your times of desperation, don't bargain with God, right? He doesn't need anything from you. So like, don't bargain with him. God, I swear I'll never touch a cigarette again if you just do this, or I'll be at church every single time the door is open. I wish more of you guys would promise that. But anyways, I'll be at church every single time the doors are open. We're not supposed to be desperate and make these deals with God. James says, as a Christian, if you tell someone yes, it should mean yes. If you tell someone no, it should mean no. So if someone walks up and says, will you pray for me? Don't say yes unless you intend on doing it. Let me tell you a secret on how to handle that. If someone comes up and says, can you pray for me? Just do it right then. You don't have to worry about remembering it later, right? Well, but Corey, we're in Arby's. Arby's needs Jesus too. Just pray, right? Who cares? Just pray in the middle of Arby's. You can pray for your roast beef sandwich. Pray for that person you're with. Everything's good. Let your yes be yes. Are you guys just amazed at what just comes out of my mind, right? It's just spontaneous and it just comes out. Arby's, that's, that was the Holy Spirit. Anyways, so the Christian's word should hold weight, it should be clear, and it should be trustworthy. Very simple, okay? So let's talk about prayer. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will restore him to health. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three and a half years it did not rain. Then he prayed again, 
and the sky gave rain and the land produced fruit. So James, as he's wrapping up his book of the Bible, he wants to talk about prayer for a little bit. And he says, when should we pray? He says, in times of suffering, it's easy for us to doubt. It's easy for us to get angry. It's easy for us to get into self-pity. So James says, in times of suffering, pray for God to help you, right? And then he says, also when you're happy, right? When everything's going good, it's easy to forget about God. It's easy to forsake God. It's easy for us to get complacent. So in times of happiness, we should also pray and be thankful to God. So here's the point. Both darkness and sunshine should lead the believer to a consciousness of God. Hey, life's rough, pray. Life's great, pray. Sunshine and darkness should both bring us to a consciousness of who God is, all right? And then he talks about praying for the sick. That when we are sick, right, when we are physically, mentally, or spiritually sick, we are to seek God. And in times of serious need, dire need, we're to get the elders of the church. We have four elders and their wives that come to church here. We also have me and Kyle and Josh Brooker are elders of the church. If there's elders of the church that you have these people pray for you and they can anoint you with olive oil. There's nothing magical about the oil. The oil represents God's spirit and his healing power. There's not even anything magical about the elders, but theoretically, right, according to the Bible, the elders should be people that have a strong relationship with God. And as we see here in a second, People who have a strong relationship with God, their prayers go deeper, right? That they are more effective, that they should be seasoned at interceding, praying for other people. And so here's where we can possibly go into some bad theology, and we need to be very careful. James says the prayer of faith will save the sick. This does not mean that every time you pray for someone who is physically, mentally, or spiritually sick, that they're always going to be healed, right? It does not mean that. It means that we have the confidence that God can do it and that he wants to do it. This does not mean that our faith level determines God's efficiency. It does not mean that our level of faith determines what kind of prayers get answered and what kind don't. A lack of healing doesn't always mean a lack of faith. That's a very dangerous theology to go down. Now, here's the thing about healing. I believe in healing. I've seen people miraculously healed. I've seen people healed of all kinds of things. I've also prayed for people fervently with all my heart and passion and seen them not get healed. Here's the thing as Christians, guys. If you are a Christian in here, if you live for Jesus Christ, all of us are promised an eternity where we will have a glorified body that will never sneeze or cough or get strep throat or get cancer or anything terminal, right? So if you are a Christian in this room, every single one of you are promised eternal healing. Even if that is through our death in this life, we will be healed and have a perfect body for eternity. And so here's the thing. We are promised that perfect body. We are also promised to be, have all of our sins removed every time we pray and we ask for that. But even in these promises, God reserves the right, because he's God, to answer prayers the way he sees fit. And there are some times in our life when God does not choose to heal us now, and do I understand that? I do not always understand that. But I know that God is sovereign, and I know that he's good, and I know that his will is up to him, right? That he's going to determine that. So we just have to pray that his will be done. He's going to do what's best for his kingdom. And we have to trust him and believe in him for that. Here's another interesting thing, that if we're not careful, our theology can get bad. That sometimes sin and sickness are connected. And James alludes to the fact that sometimes our sin can cause mental, spiritual, and even physical 
sickness. Now we have to be careful. This isn't a blanket statement, right? You hear someone sneeze and you're like, well, they must have said a cuss word this week. That's, that's not how it works, right? We can't use it as a blanket statement. But many of you in this room can attest to this. Our spiritual life can greatly affect our physical and mental self, right? We need to know that. And, and 1 Corinthians 11.30 says, some sicknesses require repentance of sin before they will be healed. That we need to ask for God to forgive us of certain things. So James keeps going on and he says, we also need to confess our sins. Not only do we need to confess our sins to God and repent for our sins, but we need to confess our sins to people that we trust that can pray for us and hold us accountable. That doesn't mean you confess your sins to all the people all the time, right? Again, going back to Arby's, right? You're sitting in Arby's and you tap the woman's shoulder in front of you. Hey, I've really been struggling with lust lately, right? You're either going to go to jail or you're going to get punched or something bad is going to happen, right? So I don't recommend that you just tell everyone your sins all the time. But find someone that you love, <laughs> find someone that you trust that will hold you accountable and pray for you and confess your sins to them. And here's the thing, in confessing our sins, we need to be clear about what sin is, right? To call sin what it is. So if you know someone that is doing something antithetical to the Bible, right, that is gonna be destructive, if you love them, tell them that it's wrong. This is wrong. We must identify what is evil and we must, we must acknowledge that this is not right. Once we've done that, we repent for it. And then we take the steps to avoid those things and then we must be held accountable by each other, right? And listen, guys, if you have someone that calls you out, it's not because they don't love you, it's because they love you. They care about your marriage, they care about your kids, they care about your health and your wellness. They want you to be the best you can be, right? So don't be offended by that. And so it says that the prayers of righteous people have more power. Prayer must come from righteous people. That doesn't mean perfect people. Those are two different things. Elijah wasn't perfect. When James said, let's take our buddy Elijah, right? He was a man just like we are, right? Which means he probably struggled with things. He made mistakes, but Elijah had a relationship with God. He lived a life that repented to God and communicated with God and trusted God. And because of that, his powers, uh, his prayers were powerful. They were effective. And James essentially says effective prayer comes from the heart of people whose passion is to see the will of God in their life and the will of God in people's lives around them. That's where effective prayer comes in. When we have a connection with God and we pray his will, those are effective prayers. That's the way we should pray, okay? Last part, we're almost there, guys. And this is very important, very short, but very important. My brothers... If any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is where he ends his book. All of us in this room, if you're a Christian, all of us in this room have known people who have either claimed to be Christians, we went to church with them for a long time, and somewhere down the road, they either started believing really bad doctrine, right? Really bad theology, or they chose to live a sinful life. They got off track, right? Now, on the heels of what we talked about last week, here's what, here, here's what I know. People who claim to be a Christian, but live in persistent disobedience to God's teachings, show us that their faith is empty, that they really don't have faith. 
because there's not evidence of that relationship. We can say we have it, but if we live in disobedience to Jesus, we're not following Jesus, right? That makes logical sense, doesn't it? And so those people, we need to pursue them. We need to go after them. We don't need to kick them while they're down. We don't need to gossip about them. We don't need to write them off. We need to run after them. Why? Because James says whoever successfully gets to those people and brings them back into the family of God saves them from death. That is not a literal death. That is talking about the ultimate death, an eternity of separation from God. In other words, hell. That if we will go and get them and turn them back to Jesus Christ, that we are saving their souls from eternal damnation. That's their eternity, right? And even on, on top of that, if we save them back into the family of God, we save them from a life of misery. We cover a multitude of sins. That's what love does, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. And when we bring someone back into the faith, it may save their marriage. It may save their relationship with their children. It may save all kinds of strife and hardship that would have gone to a lot of people just by touching that one person's life, just by getting that one person back would cover a multitude of destruction. So where do we begin? James doesn't really tell us where to begin, but the Bible kind of tells us where to begin in the New Testament. The first thing we have to do, and I already said this earlier, but I just want to say it to you again. Guys, we have to be honest about what sin is. I'm going to give you permission to do something in my life. If you see me doing something that is causing or could possibly cause my marriage to fall apart, my relationship with my children to, to become ruined, if you see me doing something that could tear apart this church or hurt this community, you have my permission to tell me. I want you to tell me. And so if I see you driving off a cliff, I'm gonna try to jerk the steering wheel and get you to go a different way. Not because I don't love you, but because I love you very, very much. We as Christians have to identify and be honest about sin. We also need to pray that people understand that they are living in opposition to God. We need to pray that people repent, not just once or twice. I've told you the story of my sister. She lives up in Chicago. My sister prayed for me from the time I was 12 years old to the time I almost turned 23. In fact, the, the, the month of August is my anniversary for when I became a Christian. I became a Christian 2002, the first week of August. And my sister prayed for me for 10 and a half years for me to repent. She would even say, God, do whatever you have to do. If you have to bring him almost to the point of death, get my brother to turn around. She prayed that for 10 and a half years, right? And if my sister wouldn't have prayed those prayers, we probably wouldn't be hanging out right now. We need to be relentless and pray for people to repent. We need to love people through communication, which means we tell people we love them. <laughs> well, it's uncomfortable. I don't care. Get out of that box, look at someone in the eyes and say, I love you. Like, I really love you. Show them grace and then encourage them if they've strayed from the faith, encourage them to come back to a welcoming, loving, non-judgmental, non-condemnation throwing at them Christian community, the church. Then when people do come back, well, did you hear what they did? Man, I wish everyone was exposed to the things you've done wrong, right? We've all got skeletons in the closet, so let's chill out a little bit, right? So whenever people do come back into our family, that we welcome them with open, loving, loving arms, right? That we invite them back in. Okay. Now listen, my goal is not to be controversial, and, and I try 
really hard not to try to capitalize off things that are going on in America, right? To like tug at your heartstrings. That's, that's not my goal. That's not my intention. I do want to say this though. Right now, I think the state of Christianity is we're waiting for someone else to make our nation a better place. We're waiting on the government. We're waiting on social programs. We're waiting on someone else to go out and to engage and turn around the trajectory of our culture right now. Now, here's the thing. If you go into the Bible, God is not opposed to governments. It says in Romans 13 that everyone who's in power on planet Earth right now is because God allowed them to be, whether we understand that or not, right? God's not opposed to authority. He's not opposed to structure. He's not opposed to order. He's not opposed to any of that stuff. But God did not call a president or a government or a king and a queen or a congress or a social institution or a corporation. God did not call any of those things to change the world. He called you to do it. Jesus looked at his followers in Matthew chapter 5, and he said, you are the salt and you are the light. That this world is going to be dark unless you take the light out in it. That this world is not going to have flavor unless you go out and do it. Jesus commissioned us to do this. We, the church, have been called by the Creator to touch the hearts of mankind. Let that soak in. That if anyone is going to show that miserable person at the office love, it's going to be us. That if anyone is patient with the person that is so difficult that it's going to be us. That if anyone is going to reach across the aisle to the racist or the bigot or the hateful person, it's got to be us. We are the ones. We are the ones. And we've made idols of our governments and our officials and We've made idols of our social institutions and our corporations saying, why are they wrecking this? And the whole time God's saying, I made you the salt and light. I gave you the awesome responsibility to go out and positively affect the world around us. Now that's a huge task. It's a huge task for Jesus to look at us and say, hey, it's you. You have to go out and do this. It's a great task, but he doesn't end there. So in the beginning of the book of Matthew, he says, you're the salt and the light. At the very end of the book of Matthew, he says, and I'm going to be with you till the ends of the earth. Though we have a great task, we have a great support system. We have a great helper. And if we are with Christ, we are filled with Christ. If we are filled with Christ, we have the capability of the Holy Spirit inside of us to channel the healing power of God. We have the healing power of God that can be channeled through us for spiritual healing, for mental healing, for racial healing, for physical healing, to go out into the world and to engage and to be a catalyst for something good to happen. So again, what must we do? Christians, we have to have the fortitude and quite frankly, the guts to look at some things and say, that is evil, that is wrong. This has to stop. This is not right. This is not of God. We as Christians need to have enough guts to say, that's not okay. This is not okay. Not only that, we need to pray for people to repent. We need to pray for the least of these to repent. We need to pray for the radical Muslim that blows stuff up. We need to pray that God touches their heart because even the worst of the worst... We don't even want the worst of the worst to go to hell. 
Do you know there was a young man named Saul who was a terrorist one time? He would pull Christians out of places and he would have them murdered in the streets. In Acts chapter 7, it says this young man would hold the coats as women and children and men would get slaughtered. Do you know that guy eventually got saved and wrote 70% of the New Testament of your Bible? Do you know what we do as people? We think the blood of Christ only goes so deep. We don't think it can save the racist. That's why we don't pray for the racist. That's why we don't pray for the KKK and for these idiots who are marching and saying all their bigoted things, right? We don't pray for them. We return evil for evil. And we hate them. And in that, the devil has won. Do you know you have people in this church that used to be in white supremacist groups? Did you know that? I won't say their name because I don't want to embarrass them. They're not proud of those things. But because of the blood of Jesus, it covers those things. And the church is called to engage. The church is not called to return evil for evil. It's not called to post hateful things on Facebook. It's not called to start riots and burn buildings down. Jesus said that we pray for those who persecute us and we love even our enemies. Corey, that is crazy. No, that is Jesus. Well, what if they strike my cheek? Then give them the other one. What if they steal my shirt? Jesus said, give them your shoes. Corey, that's crazy. It's Christianity. It's true Christianity. We pray for them. We identify sin. And we love them regardless of their response. We love them regardless. It sounds outlandish, doesn't it? It sounds audacious, doesn't it? It's all Scripture. It's all Scripture. And here's the, here's the thing, God willing, God willing, if we can reach across and if we can touch their hearts, that some of them will repent. And some of us will be, some of them will be instrumental in turning the world upside down like a young man named Saul. That if we can reach across and if we can show them the unadulterated love of our Savior, that they can come into our family and we can welcome them warmly. No. If anyone is going to make this world differently, it's going to be you and I. Is that a tall order? Absolutely. But if we are connected to Christ, we have the creator of the universe right here. Is he said, guys, listen. I'll just look it up real quick. Even though I can quote it, I'm not bragging or anything, I'm just saying. Jesus says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the world. It's a lot to tackle. We can do this as long as we're connected to Christ. But Corey, they're hateful. Okay, pray for them. But Corey, they're mean. Love them. But they're dangerous. We're sent out like sheep among wolves. That's what the Bible says. To be harmless as doves, but wise as serpents, the Bible says. That's what we're called to be. Completely and utterly dependent on him. 
and if we are completely and utterly dependent on him, you will see people get saved and changed that you never thought the blood of Christ could touch. His blood is deep, deeper than we can ever realize. And our love will cover a multitude of sins. Would you bow your heads with me? If you are in this room, we will have men and women up here at the front, people that I trust to pray for you, good men and women, not perfect men and women, but good, righteous men and women. If you need prayer for anything, if you're struggling spiritually, mentally, physically, come up here and let them pray for you. We even have olive oil up here, right? It's not magical, but it represents the fact that God is with us, that he has healing power. They can anoint you with oil. They can pray with you this morning. If you're in here and you're struggling, guys, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, man, I, 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 I've felt ways that I haven't felt in a long time with all the stuff going on right now in the world. Some bad feelings, some, some hatred bubbling up. And I've had to ask the Lord to forgive me of that and touch my heart. It's easy. It's easy to slip into that. And if you found yourself slipping into that and not loving people the way we should, we need to ask God to forgive us. And if we ask God to forgive us for whatever our sin may be, guys, there's communion all the way around here. That represents the body and blood of Jesus. It says in Romans that Jesus died for us while we were sinners, while we were full of hatred, while we were full of sexual immorality, while we were full with greed and all these things, Jesus still died for us. Listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, as the Roman soldiers were nailing him to the cross, Jesus said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They're ignorant to you. Right now we have violent people that are ignorant to the love of God. And what should be our response? We pray, we love, we touch their hearts if we can. There's communion that's here for you. There's prayer that's here for you. If you want to pray for someone else next to you, man, please, please pray for someone next to you if you feel the Lord leading you to do that. Actually, we're just going to do it right now. Reach over, whoever's next to you. Put a hand on their shoulder. I don't care if you know them or not. If you see someone sitting alone, get that introvert. hey, I don't care if you know the person next to you or not, join me in prayer right now and just pray for whoever's next to you. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. God, I pray right now for, for your body, God. I pray right now, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray, God, that you let us love each other. I pray, God, that you let us leave this place and love our city and our community. I pray, God, that if there's been hatred or hard feelings in our heart, that you forgive us. I pray that we are benevolent and kind. I pray that we pray for the lost that we pray for even the least of these, the most hateful of those, God, that we love them and we reach out and God, give us the wisdom to touch the hearts of the people around us. God, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, and we know that you have a plan and we just wanna be a part of that plan, God. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who's not a believer, I just pray, Lord, that they feel welcomed right now and that they feel loved right now. And I pray that you touch their heart, God. We love you. 
We thank you. We praise you. We give this week to you, God, for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so much. I hope you have a great week.